Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. Uh, I wanted to start out, I wanted to apologize. For some reason, uh, this podcast only covered point one and two, and then somehow the recording stopped. So um, for those of you who were there, you got all three points. Uh, for those of you that weren't, I apologize. You'll just get to hear uh, the two points um, that were uh, to start the message today. Um, if you would like a written transcript of the uh, podcast or the message, feel free to email me at aj.swanson at cccfrisco.org. Thanks again for listening. Um, an event was on called the Olympics. Um, this is when I was still in black and white. This is about in the 60s. And to the participants in one of the Olympic Games, loss of the 400-meter relay race for women was a tragic incident. And this is the reason it was a tragic incident. The Germans, the German women, were far in the lead on the relay race. When the next to last girl came to pass the baton to the final runner. With a clear five yard lead and the race as good as won, the baton was dropped. Pictures showed despair on the women's faces as the last runner realized what had happened. We sat one evening in Berlin looking at an illustrated magazine that showed pictures of the Olympics of the, the author of the story. The magazine had texts under the pictures in several languages. The English one read, the muffed, they muffed the baton. The French magazine read, les témoignons, which I'm sure I butchered. Mary Ellen isn't here. Les témoignons. The French word for witness. The idea was, at least in French vocabulary, that the runner who reached the tape had to have the baton as a witness that they had covered the full distance of the race. If the witness was lost, the race was lost. And I think this provides a great spiritual lesson. These girls had made the Olympic team and had the honors attendant upon their prowess. They were eligible to run the race. They lost the prize, however, by losing the witness. They were cast away from the medal stand. So it is in the Christian life. All who are born again, or born again, are eligible to run the race. No one can run the race until he is made eligible through saving faith. All who receive into salvation in Christ will be in heaven. But not all will receive the prize in addition to salvation. The last two years, the tagline for Yak, if you've actually looked at the top of the Yak emails, has been run the race. As we've talked through what is the gospel, how to share the gospel, and how to defend the gospel. And last year, I hopefully we equipped you how to read the word of God properly. It was training you how to run. That while the 100 meter relay might be a short race, you are in the long race of life. So while the Olympic athletes only read the 100 meter relay, you are in for the long haul. This is much more like a cross country meet than it is a sprint. And the small decisions you make daily will impact the long haul. Any of you that are do sports and do sports that take long periods of time, it's always the small adjustments you make 
that affect the outcome of the game. But this is not a race where you are likely to finish. That's sobering. God willing, you will hand off the baton. You will hand off the witness. If, unless Jesus comes back, you ain't finishing the race. And that's a natural part of the Christian life. It has been for the last 2,000 years. Passing off the witness, the baton. And that's the theme of the year. How do we pass it on? How do we multiply the baton? Unlike the relay race where you only hand off to one person, you're kind of like a magic runner with a bag full of batons that immediately you can pull out and hand a new one to the runners that you pass. You don't only have one witness that you just have to hand off. Okay, I showed the gospel to one person. They came to know Jesus. I'm all good. I can sit in the back row of the church and eat, you know, Doritos or something else that's disgusting for you while the church service is going on. No, you have a bag full of batons, much like a magician has a bag full of bunnies. How the bunnies get there, I don't know. But for you, your witness comes through the word. So we have to ask, how do we multiply? Right? How do we do that? How do we witness and that's today's message. So turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We are going to read the whole chapter and discuss some of the finer details in transformation groups following. But this is kind of the overall theme, the idea for the year. How do we multiply? How do we interact with people to where a soul might be saved or a brother might be strengthened? How do we do things intentionally? So let's pray and dive in. Father God, as we dive into your text, may we read it for what it is, which it's not just a book. It's not just a newspaper clipping. It isn't a tweet with some powerful hashtag. It's even greater than a gif. Lord, it's the living, breathing word of God. And Lord, it interacts with our soul. It encourages us. It challenges us. And if the spirit dwells within us, It creates a yearning within us to want to do something, to not be passive in the faith, but to be active, which is the way in which we multiply. In your son's name, amen. This is starting at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I just think that's a cool image. Like, I got this. I moved this stone. It's huge. It's like as big as this wall. He's just chilling on top of it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They played possum. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, I originally planned on starting the talk 
on verse 11. But the reason I wanted to cover verses 1 through 10 is because this reason. Without the resurrection, you have no witness. You have no baton. What we're seeing right here is the beginning of the race. We see the Marys heading towards the tomb. And then that shot fires. The cannon booms. The bell rings. And literally the women, it says in the text, run. The race has set. And what are they going to tell? They're going to witness to the disciples what they have seen. So the race that I am asking you to run, the baton I am asking you to pass, this is the beginning of the race. And we see it in perfect living word of God vision. It's right there. And this is the same journey that you're on. This long line of people who have come from faith all the way from the Mary's running. You're in that line. It's a cool thought. For, um, and if this didn't happen, Paul makes it clear that the faith is worthless. That the baton is worthless. That it's of no use. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's saying right there, if you don't believe what we just read in Matthew 28, 1 through 10, then we are, it's, it's worthless. And those who are running the race are most to be pitied in this world because they're running for nothing. But if Christ is raised, then we have every reason to follow the calling of Mary, to run the race, to multiply the witness. And the section continues in Matthew. This is verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If you know anything about Roman history, this is absurd. They're like trained fighters. They they should have perished if they had failed in their mission. No, no, we'll just give you some money. Just say you fell asleep. Too much wine. And if this comes to the governor's ears, so they're trying to protect him because they know you might die if the governor hears it. We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now even the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to cover three things in this section, like good Presbyterians, as you move forward in the transformation group. Okay? And we're going to expound upon them, hopefully, a little bit more in transformation group. One, this is the first one. We are set up against the greatest lie in the world. We are up against the greatest lie in the world. As you run this race called the Christian life, you're going to hear some pretty absurd things. Well, you can't really know anything for certain. We talked about how ridiculous that is in apologetics. You can't really know anything about history. Well, that's just your opinion. Well, all religions lead to God. Or one of my favorites, which gets popular like a month before Easter. Well, Jesus didn't even exist. Like, these are ridiculous lies that a good portion of the culture quickly buys into without even thinking through the logical or historical implications. We talked about, you know, the absolute truth fallacy or the relative truth fallacy. Well, you can't know anything for certain. Well, do you know that for certain? Uh, well, if I say yes, then I'm self-defeating. If I say no, then my word is worthless. You know, we talked about, yes, you can know things about history. We talked about those things. And we believe that Jesus existed. Every scholar, published scholar in the world, believes that Jesus existed. The only people that don't have podcasts and radio shows and not one scholarly article. Even Bart Ehrman, the biggest historical critic of Christianity, when people bring up on his shows that he goes on with other atheists, like, well, we don't think Jesus even existed. His words, you're an idiot. If you claim that, you got to throw away almost everything in Roman history. We have 13 different, unique, non-Christian eyewitnesses within the first five centuries who claim that Jesus existed. We have nine for the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus' existence at the time. And that's not including the Christian ones. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. You have every reason to believe. Many of you already heard them. We've covered them all. Sorry. Got onto one of my rabbit trails. And this isn't new to Christianity. Think about it. Like, as you hear these things, you're not like, well, haven't heard that one before. The soldiers were spreading the lie from the beginning. You're not hearing anything new to Christianity. All the objections are old. They're just repackaged and prettier wrapping. Or sugared or salted or whatever else you want to say. Look, from the beginning, the false narrative has been set up. And it's an attractive false narrative, right? People like this false narrative because it says this. You're in control. You can have everything in your life your way. You get to make the decisions on your morality. There's no one you're going to have to answer to at the end of the day for the decisions you make. We love that. Why? Because we're self-centered, egotistical, and we like pleasure. That's why. 
That's why it's so attractive to the culture. And this is the lie you're up against. The world says you can have it both ways, that your wants are your needs. Yes, you can gain the world, Christian, but at what cost? Matthew, Mark 8.26 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But the world at its core understands it has a problem. You talk with anybody over the course of a long evening or on a bus ride or a plane ride, everyone's always complaining that the world's got a problem, right? If anything about this administration has made clear is that everyone thinks that someone else has got a problem. And it's everyone else's problem but their own. Sin is there. Hate is glorified. The media paints everyone as villains. And we offer the baton you carry is the key to freedom from hurt, from attachment to self. You have a baton. Pass it on to those who need it. Which, by the way, is everybody. But AJ, what if the handoff is sloppy? What if I can't multiply by witness because of fear or insecurity or ignorance? I mean, I'm just not ready. I haven't been trained on exactly the right thing to say on every single instance and every single conversation. And once I go through all those steps, you know, all 300 of them, and I've completely exhausted the Wikipedia page, then maybe I can open my mouth once and use the J word. Look, point two, and this should hopefully encourage you. Jesus is the one in charge. He's at the bookend to the whole section. Think about it. Notice 18 and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a pretty baller opening line, right? I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Like, I'm in charge here. What he says, go, therefore, he gives instructions, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And how does he end with? What's the other bookend? And behold, again, I am, I am, the great I am is with you till the very end of the age. He's the bookend. 